my name is Kamel Caruso, and welcome to the Her MD, Her Voice podcast. We are a female forward wellness center focused on female sexual health, everything from menopause to gynecology to sexual health. And I have here with me Dr. Sony Javed, our founder, my sister, uh, and Kathy Lai, our chief strategy officer. Hey, Kamel. Hey. Hey, Moni. How are you? Good. And Moni is my nickname, so... During this podcast, I will likely not refer to her as Dr. Javade because that's weird to me. Uh, and she will probably not call me by my given name, uh, Kamel, <laughs> and she will call me Mani. So do not be confused. Our focus is empowering women. And today we're going to be talking about Somi's initial journey from her concept of her MD and what she envisioned for women and women's healthcare, what she's learned along the way, the mistakes, the success stories, um, and what it takes to really start your own private practice as a women's sexual health provider. All right, so how has this week been going? It's been uh, very interesting trying to balance um, working from home like a lot of other people. It's a complete mind shift uh, change, right? Trying to um, get your work done and then trying to homeschool the kids and make sure everything mm-hmm. at home is taken care of. And then, you know, trying to deal with uh, continual interruptions, whether it's the dogs barking at the front door or, you know, our COVID uh, hedgehog that has now become part of the uh, <laughs> family here. <laughs> so thankfully, my patients are um, very forgiving and understanding, and most of them are, you know, battling with the same struggles that I'm having. How about you? How are you doing out there in New Jersey? It's week seven of, of being home, uh, and it's, it's definitely <laughs> wearing on us. Uh, I'm counting the days. It might actually, we might be starting week eight today if it's a Thursday. Uh, and I decided to get a pandemic puppy is what we call her. Sally, which you know, and so that's been an interesting thing where some days I'm like, this was the best thing I ever did during this thing because everyone's home, everyone's playing with her, it keeps people happy and distracted, and then other days I'm like, why did I do this to myself and like decide to add another living thing into my home? How about you, Kathy? So you both already know that I stayed up super late last night finishing the entire season of Never Have I Ever, which is the new show on Netflix. And Somi, you suggested that I watch that show, but for those of you who haven't seen it yet, it's a new series on Netflix about a girl who is in high school and seeking to lose her virginity. And I just thought the show was such a revelation because it's definitely unlike anything I saw when I was a little kid growing up in my immigrant family that never talked about sex at all. And Somi, you've been watching the show with your kids and I just can't get over like what a crazy different experience that must be um, for your girls growing up versus like what we all experienced when we were younger. Oh my gosh. Like, so when I was growing up and this will age me, but the big show was like three's company and you know, there were certain shows I was not allowed to watch, or if the word sex or kissing or anything was mentioned, you know, I'm first generation too. I was asked to leave the room And so I started watching this last night and as a physician and as a mother and as someone who believes in empowering women and getting rid of the stigma around women's sexual health, I think it's amazing. I think it's written so well um, and so candidly from this perspective um, of this, you know, sophomore who is on this 
crazy mission to lose her virginity, obviously, but she's, you know, as you watch the show, you'll see she's dealing with grief and um, some other things that she has been through during her very traumatic freshman year. Um, but I love the way they write about it so candidly and the things that kids are exposed to. And I'm watching it with my girls because I want them to feel very normal about it. They're gonna be exposed to conversations and things that they don't understand at school or on the bus when they can finally go back. And there are gonna be, you know, girls having sex at 15 and 16. And I want them to learn from me. And I want them to have a very solid sense of themselves and their bodies and for it not to be weird. And at the end of it, you know, they were uncomfortable and giggling for the first like 15, 20 minutes when they were watching it with us. And then they literally thanked me at the end and they gave me a hug and they said, thanks mom. Thanks for watching that. You know, it wasn't weird. Um, so yeah, it completely, I could not imagine watching that with my parents if there was anything like that at the time. It's obviously up to each parent, you know, what they feel comfortable with, but you know, with what I do for a living and being a sexual health physician and a gynecologist, it wasn't that giant of a leap for me, but no way was it happening in the household that I grew up in. No, it wasn't. We weren't allowed to watch Grease because of the, I still remember the scene. We weren't allowed to watch it. It was when Rizzo was doing it in the backseat of the car with Kanicki. And they barely showed anything. They, right. I don't even think they showed anything. They might have mentioned right. a condom or something, and they were uh -huh. And you knew what right. they were doing, but like we were not allowed to watch that movie because of that scene. I'm excited for this whole generation of girls to grow up feeling completely normal talking about sex, their desire, and I don't know, just overall confidence in being exactly who they are. So it's interesting because like you're watching that with your daughters. Right. Um, I'm watching it with my daughter, um, who's 18, about to go off to college, and we would never watch that with our mom. It's also funny because, like, I remember when you opened your practice, and I want you to talk about what inspired you to open your practice. I know mom and dad are so proud of you and, like, wanted you to go to med school. I don't know if they envisioned that their daughter would be a sexual health doctor. And I remember when you opened your practice and you had that sign that said like sexual health and you were 40 and I was 34 and I was like, dad can't see that sign. <laughs> dad can't see that. And he was like, he had a picture with you in front of it. And I was like, yeah. my mind was like blown over something like that, which no, is so funny, but like talk about that. Yeah, no, it was really funny. You know, we opened um, the weekend of my 40th birthday. So my family came out to support me and also to celebrate. And yeah, there was this moment where dad is standing in front of the sign. And, you know, my sister is taking the picture and she's like, you can't, what are you doing? And I had already been hearing this for the six months I was opening, you know, like when I was trying to get advertising out there, well, we can't advertise for you, Dr. Javade, because your sign says sexual health in it. So it was a very um, mind blowing moment, but luckily he just kind of walked past it and they know what I do. I'm not by any means embarrassed about what I do. Um, I love what I do, but no way were my parents who did not allow me to watch Three's Company or Grease envision that I was going to become a sexual health physician and a very loud one at that. So yeah, no, I don't think that was in their plans. <laughs> 
So walk us through that journey of like growing up in a super conservative, um, you know, first generation immigrant household to sexual health doctor. Like how did you end up where you are? Yeah, so it's so funny. The parents who um, didn't want me to talk about sex and didn't talk about it and um, were so uncomfortable with sexuality, my mother is part of the reason that I'm where I am today. Those of you who know me uh, know that I nearly lost my mom when she was only 45, um, which is crazy to me because I'm just two months shy of that marker myself. She nearly died because of a misdiagnosis. So my mom had the classic signs of cardiovascular disease. Um, if anyone who is not a physician Googled her symptoms, they would be like, it's her heart. She had chest pain and shortness of breath. And six weeks, she bounced around in and out of hospitals. And I was pre-med at the time. And, you know, she ended up having emergent quadruple bypass surgery and um, ended up surviving. But it was her dismissal and her invisibility as a female patient that told me um, as I went into medical school that I was gonna be an advocate for patients, particularly for women. And so that rendered the decision to become an OBGYN. And then, you know, the reality of the current insurance model, which allows you to see a lot of patients in a very small window, typically um, 10 to 15 minutes, didn't allow a lot of time for me to become the advocate that I had promised myself and had promised um, my mother when she was ill. And so I decided to quit my job, um, buy a building, and open a practice. And the reason it was um, focused on sexual health is I realized that there's a huge gender disparity in women's healthcare. Women have significant delays in diagnosis. There are so, they don't have research dollars. There's not as much funding. And as an OBGYN, I saw that the epicenter of this gender disparity existed within a sexual um, with sexual health care. I was listening to patients complaining about, you know, no desire or painful sex, whether it was from, uh, you know, painful childbirth or from cancer, and we had no answers for them. And so um, I received some specialized training above and beyond um, medical school and residency and decided to really have a safe space where women could come in for their sexual health concerns that would empower them and educate them. And I was truly going to advocate for them. So bought that building on a leap and a prayer and opened her MD Cincinnati. So we talked to a lot of female physicians who are kind of fed up with working in somebody else's private practice or in a hospital setting where they are doing those drive-by pap smears, you know, spending 10 to 15 minutes with each patient and totally burned out. And they want to open their own practice, but it's such a leap of faith and it's so scary and so intimidating. And I'm sure you went through all sorts of fears and anxiety um, before opening up your own practice. Like what was the moment or reason why you just decided to take that leap? 40 was creeping up on me and I was tired of working for other people and I had not gone through all of that training and all of that residency where you're working over 100 hours a week to not practice the type of medicine that I thought was best for my patients and I felt very untrue to who I was and I felt very frustrated for my patients because you know, yes, it was great to have this big patient population. What was horrific 
was by the end of the day, I couldn't remember who I saw at 8 a.m. And it was either, you know, I came to a point where I was just going to leave medicine altogether or I was going to practice medicine the way that I wanted. And I looked for a couple of jobs that would provide that type of environment and nothing existed. So my father said this to me, he's like, there wasn't a door for you, so you built your own door. And I said, yes, dad, I did. And I put the sexual health sign on it, but I didn't tell him that part. <laughs> um, <laughs> Walk back to like the type of healthcare you envisioned. Obviously you want to spend more time with patients, but when you started that plan, what did that look like? So I... I felt like the biggest barrier to adequate healthcare um, was time. And so I wanted to buy myself and my uh, patients time. If you have more time, there are less medical errors that happen because you actually have time to get to know the patient, you have time to talk to them, um, and they have time to tell you everything. Um, and then patient satisfaction and, and physician satisfaction go up because no one feels rushed, right? Who wants to have a beautiful meal and then be rushed through it? And so I had to figure out, I knew insurance companies weren't going to pay me um, to spend extra time with my patients. So I had to figure out, and I didn't want to go concierge. So concierge medicine is, you know, where you pay um, to be part of a practice. And that works great for a lot of physicians um, and for a lot of patients. But it wasn't true to who I was. I wanted to take care of all patients, no matter what their socioeconomic background was. So for me, I eliminated that model right away. I knew that the aesthetic market, um, you know, so Botox and fillers and body shaping was one of the most rapidly um, growing market subsets in the country. And so I decided that our revenue streams, aside from having surgery in the office and ultrasound and blood draw and visits, that we would add a full-blown medical spa um, where patients could choose to spend their money if they wanted to. And because of that revenue, um, the providers could then truly spend the amount of time that they wanted with patients and practice the type of medicine that patients deserve. Five years ago, I was just having had Luca, my youngest one. So I wasn't totally involved in your process. So when I see it now, I'm like, wow, that was a lot that she did kind of on her own. And I look at some of the stuff that you were doing and I'm like, why didn't I help with that? And I realized I had a newborn uh, ish. So that's probably why I wasn't helping as much. Yeah, you were a little busy. <laughs> but I do remember you saying something about starting it, uh, writing down some of your thoughts on a napkin. And that's how you created what you have today or what we all have today. I know. I wish this was as glamorous as the Harry Potter story, right? <laughs> and then the napkin got thrown away or something. But um, yeah, no, I wrote it down um, on a napkin and then I put it in a, a calendar and a to-do book that everyone in my life, including my sister, still makes fun of me for. And I, and I wrote down step-by-step step what I needed to do and then I went even as far as a timeline and then I even wrote down every person I knew in my life and what role they were going to fit in in at the practice if I was going to bring them into the practice so and I think 95% of whatever I wrote down came to fruition so it was really interesting putting that down it was very powerful once I wrote it down, it became real to me. You know how some people are visual learners, 
I've always been the kind of learner, and I don't know what they call it, where you write it down and then it's it's done. Um, and I know it when I write it down. And um, that's what it took for me to, for it not to just be a dream, that it was going to become reality. So of all the things that you wrote down on that list, what was the most, looking back, if you can remember, what do you think was one of the most important things that you wrote down? Um, the most important thing was obtaining funding. <laughs> <laughs> Talk more about that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as a doctor, we don't have a lot of business knowledge and I had never owned my own practice. I had never owned in a business. I was, um, you know, an employee and I, um, knew I needed money to obviously, you know, start the practice and buy everything I needed to take care of patients. And so, you know, walking into a bank and, you know, they ask you, well, how long has your business been around after you say that you need money? And you're like, um, zero years. <laughs> like I'm starting now. That's why I'm here. And so that was the most interesting um, thing. But what you learn along the way is you talk to people who are in business already and everyone has someone in their circle of friends, no matter what you do for a living. And so I reached out to a neighbor who owned his own medical billing company. And then I reached out to another OBGYN who was out in Indiana who owned her own business. And they basically, they, they sent me to you know resources that they had used. And so I got little snippets of information from really smart people who were successful and I took it and then obviously did my own research and then just kept that list going. And so I learned about small business loans. I hear so many doctors saying, oh, I don't have the money. I could never do that. I still have student loans. I did as well. But I was able to obtain funding that covered the building and covered, you know, all of the expenses that um, I needed to open my practice. And I You want to hear something really embarrassing <laughs> about that, too? <laughs> <laughs> Always. I went in to go get a cell phone uh, from a place that I had had a cell phone for 10 years. and. They wouldn't give it to me. I had to pay cash for it. Like they were like, I, I got this, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars small business loan, but I, I don't want to name the cell phone company, but they wouldn't give me a cell phone. I was like, um, okay, I'll just buy it with my own money. <laughs> so you'll get no's along the way for sure in the places you least expect it. Um, so, were there any unexpected expenditures that you encountered when you were starting up? Yes. Legal fees, for sure. I wasn't expecting. Um, I knew there'd be a little bit, but just making sure that, you know, everything was open to code. I wasn't expecting that expenditure for sure. And I had no idea how expensive some medical equipment can be. And I learned that you can buy things secondhand and refurb them just like furniture. So yeah, there were some unexpected things. Um, and I also learned that I am I'm capable of doing a lot of things. Like I put a lot of furniture together myself from Ikea. You know, I was quoted like a couple thousand dollars for glass shelving and I went to Ikea and I bought two sets for $32 and built them myself and they're still up in the practice to this day. So I won't lie. That's surprising <laughs> that they're still up, that they're still hanging up. <laughs> <And>, yes. <laughs> but when you have to, you're, you'll be surprised at what you can accomplish and how much people are willing to help you when you say, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah, no, I definitely remember right before opening, because we came down to Cincinnati to celebrate. And I love my brother-in-law dearly, but one of his finest gifts is not putting things <laughs> together. 
and being handy. And I saw him being handy also. And it was one of my favorite memories of that weekend, actually, now that I think back on it. It's like seeing him try to be handy, but like seeing everyone in your family and everyone around you like rallying together to, to help open the practice. I mean, our open house was almost magical. I, I will never forget. Yeah. I cried and I cried because it was actually on my 40th birthday mm-hmm. and we had 150 people show up and it was um, just breathtaking. I mean, people I didn't even think were going to come. They weren't my patients. They were friends or neighbors or, you know, uh, people from my children's schools and soccer teams. Uh, my yoga instructor showed up. I mean, it was it was insane. So that was really, really cool. That night was, was pretty awe-inspiring. And then the next morning I woke up and it kind of all smacked me in the face and then I was terrified again. <laughs> Do you mean it wasn't just smooth sailing from then? No. <laughs> it was like, oh, can those people please come back and be patients now? <laughs> it was, uh, it was interesting. And from there on in, we had our team and we had the space and then it was like hit the ground running and how do we um, stay true to what we said we were going to do, which was honor and empower women? No, I mean, it's a very powerful mission. Uh, and I've met the team a lot. I've been fortunate to work with them over the years in a part-time capacity and now more full-time. Um, but going back to then, how did you assemble that team of like rock star women who like live and breathe that mission that you created? I love the fact that you call them rock stars because I tell them every day that I could never do what I get to do, which is, you know, take care of patients um, if they weren't there to greet them at the front door or, you know, to help on the aesthetic side or to do their ultrasounds or to help put them to sleep for surgery. I think, you know, a good attitude is is very um, catchy, you know, just as much as a bad attitude can spread. I was very blessed to work with um, a great group of women all along the way. So, you know, I was delivering babies for a very long time, and then I worked at the university. And so I met different people along the way, and then I had personal people in my life that I just knew. So I was blessed to have a really good circle of women. You know, they always say it takes a village to raise a child. It also takes a village to open a practice. And so, and I think the one thing that I'm good at uh, with judging people is seeing them and what they can do in their full potential. Um, My husband once said that I scare people. And I said, what do you mean? And he's like, you scare them because you push them to do things that they don't think that, or they, they never knew that they were capable of. And it's scary, but in a good way. Um, and I think that I'm good at spotting um, what people can do. And I think women rise to the occasion when given the opportunity and they like having ownership of something and feeling like a part of something. And that's what I was inviting them to become a part of was a mission. I wasn't offering them a job. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but I believe it to my core. Well, I mean, I can feel it. I think everyone feels it when they're in the office and they're in the practice. Um, I think it was last summer that there was the fourth anniversary and there were so many patients who came out for that party and people were looking around and, you know, other, you know, colleagues and whatnot. And they were like, we, we wouldn't go to our like OBGYN's office (laughs) to like hang out and like celebrate and party. Like, what have you guys done here? So it's pretty cool. I know I have a, a lot of people because I'm blessed and humbled to be able to speak for, you know, some companies and do some teaching. And, um, 
anytime they introduce me, they're like, yeah, she's the doctor that gets people to come hang out with her and, you know, drink with their staff after hours. Like, who wants to go hang out with their gyno? And I was like, I don't know. People, I mean, you know, we make people feel at home. If you think about it, it's a place where you have to go take your clothes off and discuss the most, you know, intimate, sometimes embarrassing in experiences in your life. And who wants to do that if people are cold or mean or rude or the office environment is sterile? Nobody. Like, you know, you have to be warm. Otherwise, people will never open up to you. They'll never feel empowered. The biggest compliment I get is when people walk in the doors and they're like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I was looking for, you know, a medical office. And we're like, no, come on in. This is, this is our office. And, you know, you deserve this. Women deserve to have an experience like that. Talk a little bit more about the space and why you designed it or wanted it the way that it was. So my, my pet peeve, you know, you've been to the gynecologist. I've been to the gynecologist. I mean, those paper gowns that stick to everything, the fluorescent lighting that makes anyone look horrendous just you know and then the 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 cold gel and the cold speculum and the just the whole experience you know you feel like it's fast food gynecology right in and out we've served 40 million you know people today and so uh, I as a woman was like what do I want and um so you know things like no paper gowns absolutely not we're gonna have robes in the winter and we're gonna have you know um like soft cotton for summer. Um, we're going to have blankets if people are cold. We are going to have temperature controls. The lighting is going to be chandeliers, none of that fluorescent lighting um, that is just, you know, I, I hate the way it makes uh, me feel when I'm standing in fluorescent lights. You know, we've all had that feeling when you're in a dressing room and the lighting's bad, you end up not buying the dress because you don't like the lighting and you walk out and you're like, forget it. So I was like, what can I do from every aspect to make it very comfortable and just aesthetically pleasing? And especially because, you know, part of our practice is a medical spa. And so women want to look and feel beautiful. They want to feel healthy. They want to feel empowered. And it's much easier to do in a um, very warm, beautiful space than it is somewhere cold and sterile. As like a business owner and opening your practice, what are some of the things you learned from listening to the advice of others or just going with your gut? Be humble, be willing to accept criticism and learn from others. Um, even if they have just one piece of um, you know, advice to give you, ignore the noise. As much as there are people who are willing to help you, there are just as many people who don't want you to succeed for their own reasons. And that's been a big lesson for me, it still is, ignoring the noise. Definitely trust yourself. You know more than you think. Most of you have trained as a physician or an NP and you've been through rigorous training. You can get through this. So you need to believe in yourself, but you also need to not be scared to ask for advice or for help or to reach out. And you'd be amazed at how many people are willing to be there for you. And you will make mistakes and you will fall. You know, people will sometimes tell you you're going to make a million dollars if you buy their product. Or, you know, if you do things a certain way, and if it doesn't feel right to you in your core, then don't do it. And don't set out to make, you know, a bajillion dollars. You set out to practice the type of medicine that you want or to deliver the type of care that you want, and your success will follow. And I, I know that also sounds cheesy, but it's, it's true. So, I mean, I think it's amazing that you have stayed open for five years now. And obviously, you're a medical doctor. Like, 
how did you manage through the financial aspects? Because you said, like, don't set out to make a million dollars or a billion dollars, I think, where you're exactly. But, (laughs) (laughs) like, you got to make some money. So, like, how did you, like, navigate gaining financial literacy, like, knowing how much money you were making, setting budgets? Like, is that stuff you have to know before you start your own business? Well, it would definitely be advisable to know some of that stuff. Um, So the first thing I did was I took a one-day course from a Harvard business graduate who owned a successful, he was a partner with a doctor and owned a medical spa. And so I took a one-day intensive course and I literally was like a sponge. And I learned about budgeting and um, programs and software. Um, And then I got leads on local accountants that could help me manage and to plan and to forecast. I met with a medical billing expert who could forecast about how much money we'd bring in because with medical billing, you know, it's like imagine opening a restaurant, having to pay the waiters and waitresses, and then you're not going to get paid on any of those um, tickets for 45 to 60 days after, but you still have to stay running. And so there's a little bit of finesse involved. And so I needed the help of accountants and that business course. And now I'm surrounded by a team as we've continued to grow, but no, absolutely You don't have to be an expert, but you definitely need to be able to understand the vocabulary and the language so that when your accountant's speaking to you, you can understand your business So, and how much you can spend and when you can acquire new staff and how much marketing you can do and how much advertising you can do. And you'd be amazed at how much you can do on a shoestring budget, but absolutely financial literacy is is a key to learn. You're not going to be an expert. And that's where you say... I will have someone on my team um, who will be and who will manage this, but you need to understand what they're saying. You also mentioned, you know, patients in the practice and marketing and growing that aspect um, to where you are today. And I think it's about roughly 7,000 patients uh, that you've grown to in five years. What background or support did you have in marketing and business development when you started out? Being a medical doctor, I'm assuming you didn't have a lot of experience. No, Um, I didn't. (laughs) My breakup with my former employer was was not awesome. They really didn't want me to leave, and they didn't want to tell my patients where I went. So the first marketing decision I did was to put a giant billboard with my face (laughs) on the exit of where my practice used to be. So patients could find me. So that was my first marketing decision. And um, a lot of my old patients found me that way. So that's the first thing I did. But then as I uh, made relationships with um, companies and I acquired devices, they have marketing experts that come on and will help you plan social media strategy or plan events. I learned from other physicians. And so we used social media. We put little ads in local newspapers. You know, my, my passion is education. We did free events at gyms and women's events, and we set up booths, and I talked to people, and we handed out flyers, and then we met with other businesses that had the same mission that saw a lot of female patients, and they would hand out our business cards and postcards, and so it was really a grassroots operation, and then as the business continued to grow, it really became word of mouth, and as we became larger and larger, we then had experts join the team um, because then there became a need for um, someone to handle it on a very high level. But 
you can dabble for sure and get help and that can help you grow initially and you can do it on a shoestring budget. What is some of the best advice you have for growing a practice when you've just opened? You want to let all of your potential referring doctors, um, physical therapists, any referring businesses, you don't turn anyone away. Um, you talk to them and you tell them what you do and why you do it so well. We sent out pamphlets with what we do and a letter introducing our staff and they were hand, they were typed up, but we all, we signed them all. And we got so many referrals that way. You know, it was pediatrician mm -hmm. offices and we saw kids for acne and we um, reached out to the oncologists and they were sending um, patients to us for sexual dysfunction and counselors and pelvic floor physical therapists. And then I was really, really good about writing handwritten letters back or picking up the phone and saying, thank you so much for that referral. This is what I'm doing with your patients if you have any questions. So it's really not only building relationship with your patients, but about your referral sources and really creating this team effort. It's not only about building your business, but it's in the best interest of the patient if all the providers who are involved in her care are in touch and on the phone. And um, it was a much warmer way of actually, and, and put a human side to that rather than just mm -hmm. you know sending a text or an email to another physician. And we grew so quickly because of that. And it was word of mouth amongst the patients, but then also, you know, referring doctors and businesses. And then every patient who walks into our office, doesn't matter from what walk of life, they're all going to get the same treatment and they're going to get the time that they deserve and really feel like they have choices. And patients love that. They, the biggest thing they say in our office is they felt heard. And it's the first time in years they felt heard. And and that's what women want. They want to feel heard and understood um, and they don't want to be dismissed. And because of that, then they would, they become your biggest billboards and your marketers because mm -hmm. they've had a really great experience. Think about it. When we've had a really great experience, right? We have a great hairdresser. You want to tell everybody there's a great sale somewhere. You tell all your girlfriends and our patients have been our biggest advocates. So you have grown the practice now. There's 14 full-time employees, including ourselves, um, that work for her MD. And we all just so happen to be women. I don't think we would reject a male candidate if they applied, um, but we are all women. In what ways do you think that made things easier or harder for you as an entrepreneur? I find, not that I don't like working with men, but I find it easier. Um, I think as women, no matter what our background is, we have immense commonality. Um, I think women are inherent problem solvers. For instance, you know, we have a small space. We have 3,100 square feet. We figured out, uh, you know, within a day how to share rooms and how to maximize the number of patients we could see within the space. And what about the other side of the coin? Like, are there instances where you, as a female entrepreneur, where you feel like that's made things harder? Oh, me as a female entrepreneur? Yes, uh, massively. <laughs> Lots of roadblocks. Um, so my first soiree when I was first starting out and um, wanted to, to, you know, created this idea and went to go get medical malpractice, which is also on the list of things you have to do before you open a building. Um, I got a 20 minute soliloquy about what, how and why as a female, I shouldn't 
open um, a practice because it was just too hard and I shouldn't do it and no one's doing it right now and everyone's getting bought up. And I'm sure if I was a man that these young individuals would not have said that to me, but they did. And, you know, I listened and normally I would have walked out, but I chose to be humble because they had the best medical malpractice rates. And I had to, you know, make a decision based on the business and not my feelings. So definitely let them know that I didn't want their advice going forward, but I still, you know, entered a relationship with them and they are my carrier still to this day, um, but they no longer tell me what I can and cannot do. And my attitude when someone tells me, you know, no, you can't do that. I'm like, really watch me. We had another experience, Kathy, um, when we, you know, went to our legal team and we said, okay, we need to get things set up because this model has been so successful in Cincinnati and we have patients flying in from everywhere, um, you know, driving from Florida, flying in from Seattle, coming in from the Washington, D.C. We need to put this model elsewhere. We're going to franchise this. And um, how long did they spend trying to talk us out of it, Kathy? And well, so, I think we put together like a three-page unsolicited memo about all the challenges and <laughs> in order to succeed. And, you know, like when you're confronted with those things as a woman, you never know for sure, right? Like if they're saying this to you because you are a woman mm-hmm. or not. And I think that's the most damaging type of challenge that we face as female entrepreneurs, actually, because it's such gaslighting. It makes you question your judgment. It makes you question like everything that's going on in your head. And you know, like as women, we already have enough stuff going on in our head. Right. (laughs) So like, I don't want to, I, I love our lawyers. I don't want to, you know, assign blame to them in any way, but I do feel like as female entrepreneurs, you, you encounter more of those types of conversations where people are like, well, have you thought this through? Are you really sure? You're ready to roll up your sleeves. Um, and I just wonder if male counterparts of ours face the same thing. And I, I don't think so. So all of this after five years, if you could reflect back, what would you tell yourself five years ago, knowing what you know now? You're going to be okay. Yeah. You're going to be okay. Because there was a lot of sleepless nights and there was a lot of anxiety because you don't know the ending, right? And uh, you're like writing your own story and you don't know if you're gonna be there in five years because you know the statistics. It's almost like the first day of med school when they tell you to look to your left and look to your right and only one of you is gonna be there at graduation. And I had watched businesses all around me close and I had such a sense of duty to the women who came and joined me because I didn't share this part of the story, but a lot of the women quit they're very well-paying jobs and took a chance on her MD and took a chance on me and took a chance on this dream and on this very new model of medicine that hadn't really been proven before. And they just believed in the mission so much. And so I had all that responsibility every single day weighing on me. And that's mention, you know, my own kids and my family and my husband and just not wanting to let anyone down. I would just give myself a big hug and say, it's going to be okay. Where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see your practice? Where I see this practice is I want to see her MDs everywhere. Um, I want there to be no stigma with sexual health anymore. I don't want there to be, and I 
lash batted at someone talking about their sexual health. I want women to know their anatomy. I want women to know their treatment options. Um, I don't want it to be a giant news story if someone says, you know, sexual health on the, on the morning news, uh, especially when it comes to women. I want to help do a lot of research. You know, I've been involved in that um, to help further women's health care. And I want to narrow that gender gap that exists in sexual health care right now. There should not be 26 medications for men and only two for women. I'm not saying that men don't need their meds. I'm not a man hater by any means, but I'm saying why. A lot of men and a lot of women have sex together. Why is there such a huge discordance? And that's where I see myself is advocating more research and opening a whole lot of centers all around the country. For all the female physicians out there who are thinking about opening up their own practice, but are too scared to take the leap, like what piece of advice would you Mm -hmm. give them? What would you say to them? I would tell them to do it. I would tell them to recognize their fear and tell them that it's okay. I mean, I was terrified as well. I was so scared, but they won't regret it. The ability to practice the type of medicine that you want to is reward enough to be able to be the kind of doctor that you envisioned um, when you first entered medical school and you're not jaded by, you know, hospital administrators or non-medical people telling you what to do or how to treat your patients and you have ownership and you have autonomy again, that is the biggest uh, blessing to me to be able to take care of patients the way that I want, they want and the way I want. And I know when I meet frustrated physicians, that's what they want. They don't come to me and say, so Mijavade, please help me make, you know, Um, a million dollars or become rich. They're like, I want to practice really good medicine. Obviously I need to make money, but I want to be independent. I want to be in charge of my day and my interactions and my time with my patients. And I would tell them to do it and take that leap so that they can, you know, fulfill what they set out to do however long ago when they finished medical school. I want to thank you for your time today. This has been pretty incredible. I feel like I've relived it and I see it through a different lens. And I learned a lot, even being your sister that I like had no idea about five years ago <laughs> when you started. Now I feel a little bit bad, but I'm super proud of you. I think it's an incredible mission what you're doing. And thank you, Kathy, for joining as well and being my co-host. Um, it's always fun to be with you ladies. Until next time, we're hoping to have an episode every week for you. You can follow us on Instagram. Uh, you can follow Somi at MD, And you can also follow us at HerMD Health. You can also see us at our upcoming virtual healthcare summit, which we'll be doing in June. So don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at HerMDHealth.com. And as always, HerMD is dedicated to educating, empowering, and advocating for women. Thanks for listening.